For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. And we're back. Happy New Year, listeners. It is the first week of January. I've taken a little bit of a break from these episodes because I felt like you guys had enough of listening to me just talking over the past couple episodes. And I'm really excited because the first episode of 2022 of our new season uh, is the, the guests are two really important people, two really knowledgeable people that I think could really help out with a lot of you listeners. And especially with us starting the new year, some of you are probably like thinking I should get back into an exercise routine or should look at my eating. And specifically, some of you might have actually gotten to the point where your doctor says, man, you know, with your yearly checkups, uh, your blood sugar is starting to get a little bit high and you might be pre-diabetic. And when we hear that, we start to experience this, this fear, this nervousness being like, what is this? And today we have uh, Mauricio and Sarah of Zen Strength and Conditioning, who are experts on this subject. And we're going to talk about prediabetes, its role in experiencing pain like sciatica, and some action steps on how to take care of it so you guys can live pain-free and healthy lives. And at the end, uh, you'll get a chance to learn a little bit more about how you can get in touch with these two amazing professionals so that if I can help you, perhaps they can. So Sarah and Mauricio, thank you so much for hopping on today's episode. How are you guys doing today? Thanks so much for having us, Ashley. Doing well. Yeah, thanks for having us here. We're happy to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Yes. And so uh, as discussed before this episode, I was saying that this episode is really focusing on uh, having you guys share your knowledge with, with this subject that people probably hear pretty often, but they have no idea what it means or what to do about it. So before we take a deep dive into pre-diabetes, could you tell us a little bit more about yourselves and what, what got you into this subject? Of course, yes. Yeah. So my name is Mauricio Leal, uh, born in the San Francisco Bay Area, grew up in Oakland, uh, went to school, studied engineering, had a short dispassionate relationship with that, decided I wanted to get back to helping people more directly got into the fitness coaching space, was diagnosed myself pre-diabetic around 2016, I think. And uh, coincidentally, just being in the fitness space, um, U.S. population, about one in three people are pre-diabetic, diagnosed or undiagnosed. So working on myself and just working with the general population on their health and fitness goals, it's become kind of a sub-expertise of what I'm trying to do to help people with their health goals. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I'm a family nurse practitioner. Actually, that's one of my main gigs, um, but married to Mauricio. Mm -hmm. And um, when he was diagnosed with prediabetes, I was like, oh, we got to fix this because <laughs> I kind of knew all of the downstream issues of it from my medical training. 
Um, I also have been a starting strength coach as well as a CrossFit coach and found that for me, I like to marry my knowledge of medicine as well as health and fitness in the exercise space to create plans for people that are holistic and help them through their entire life. I think that uh, we frequently get siloed in concepts of just thinking about medicine or just thinking about exercise as separate entities. In reality, we are people who need to look at ourselves as whole pictures and have so many things that are influencing us in our lives and trying to look at people like in that stance and figuring out maybe it's not just, maybe the person exercises a lot, but it's just certain parts of their diet that need to change, or maybe it's their stress at work that needs to change in order for us to like get them into a place where they're really healthy. Mm-hmm. What a cool origin story. So pretty much in essence, you guys live and breathe what you do, which is fantastic. I think it is important whenever you're working with a professional, when you become an expert, is being able to experience um, whatever challenges that people face uh, in that specific population. But then also too, having that educational knowledge um, for, for you folks, if you're not sure what a nurse practitioner is, uh, it is, it's a lot of schooling. It's a lot of knowledge. Uh, Sarah has done a lot of work to get to this point. And so she's at the top tier of her field. And it's, it's really, really cool to see, see what these, these two have done. So let's take a deep dive into it. Let's talk about the big, well, it's not an elephant, but let's talk about the big thing that's in the room. Uh, the, the focus of today's podcast, which is pre-diabetes. What is it? And I'm just going to mute so you guys can just. (laughs) So pre-diabetes is kind of this really great uh, middle space between someone who has a normal like metabolism and has normal blood glucose on a regular basis versus someone who's diabetic. And the reason I say it's this kind of great mid space is because it's at a point where you don't need to have medication yet. It's a, it's, a, it's a warning sign that something's going wrong, but that you're not at the point where you're sick, according to like Western medicine definition. Um, and so for me, I love being able to help people when they're at this point because they haven't gotten really sick, but they're, and they're, they have a lot of potential to be able to kind of turn the ship around and we are able to, to be there and help them give them all the tools they need in order to really change the directory of their life. Um, Diabetes can be a very significant and debilitating uh, diagnosis. And so I really like being able to help people prevent from going there, essentially. Um, So it's it's a specific range of blood blood glucose. Um, Actually, the better test for prediabetes is measuring your A1C, which is traditionally what people will get done when they go to a doctor's visit for like an annual follow-up visit. And so a pre-diabetic range would be anything between uh, 5.7 and 6.4 on your A1C. Anything below 5.7 on your A1C is normal. Anything above like 6.4 is considered diagnostic for diabetic, which requires medicine. Um, Am I adding anything to that? I would just (laughs) say on the the experiential side of being diagnosed with uh, pre-diabetes, for me, it was living my life in the stream of everything that's happening, having this new awareness of what A1C was, because at the time I had no awareness of that, how it's affected by changes in my diet and my lifestyle over a long period of time, because it's a, it's a long-term indicator, not a short-term indicator. So any changes I was going to make towards improving my exercise, my nutrition, my sleep, my stress levels, 
had to be new habits, not just overnight or last minute fixes. So for me, it was really getting into a mindset of how am I going to live better versus how am I going to short solve this short-term problem? Because it was already just a long-term problem to begin with. And I guess that's the other thing I'd like to add about it. I think for a lot of people, it's shocking um, to find out that they're pre-diabetic because there literally is no symptoms with it. So it's it's one of those things that like when you when you become diabetic and your sugars are so high over so much time, you tend to have like symptoms, like you're really thirsty or you're losing weight or there's all these other things that can happen. But when you're pre-diabetic, you're not that sick yet. And so you don't have this constellation of symptoms that are telling you something's wrong. So it can be this very like dissonant issue for a lot of people where they're like, wait, like I thought I was fine. Yeah. And to be a little uh, vulnerable about my experience, my provider at the time uh, was not my wife and I was more or less borderline with the A1C measure. And so my provider didn't make a big deal about it at the time. And it was only my wife kind of looking at it herself and being like, this is something we should work on and do something about that I was then motivated enough to try to make changes toward it. It wasn't an overnight process. It was in fact, at least three years before I was able to move the number in the right direction. And it was only because of who she was as a provider and obviously as my loving, caring spouse that we were able to really identify it as something that needed uh, the time and attention it deserved. Wow, so that's a lot of information right there. Um, and definitely provides a really good insight into what prediabetes is. I, I don't. Uh, I guess, Marissa, you can talk a little bit more about what your experience was with your provider, but um, I'm under the assumption that, um, and I know that when I go to my GP and any any issue that I have, it's kind of like, okay, you have this problem, but then they don't necessarily have enough time to explain to me the, the ramifications, the things that I need to do uh, to take care of that. So what was... I think you kind of glazed it over. They didn't really make too much of a, a big deal with it, but um, I think this is an important subject matter. And because of it, because if it wasn't important, there wouldn't be a condition called prediabetes, and people wouldn't have to, you know, make make these changes. So I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna ask the million dollar question: Is like why is this so like why is this so important? Like okay, it's it's like okay, you have these numbers, but you don't have diabetes just yet. But why is it so important for people? to actively make changes. And I think I know the answer, but I want to, you know, out, out, of, <laughs> out of your mouth, like what, why is this so important to, to address? Well, I'll, I'll go first, but I think she can probably give the more uh, formal answer, but I think of it as a, a potential runaway train that is building momentum. And the sooner in the process, you're able to put that train on a different track or, or slow it down, staying with the metaphor here, the better your chances of success as it matriculates towards uh, full-on diabetes, it becomes much more complicated to, to work on and to improve. Yeah, I think that, you know, I can kind of go through the whole like horror stories of like what advanced diabetes goes into, but I think a lot of people actually have family members and know some of the significant complications of diabetes. It, it, it's, it's life-altering. Like there's so many different systems that can be destroyed by diabetes and you can become so, so sick from it. So for me, it's a really big deal to catch someone at this moment in time when they have the power to change their health. A lot of times when you're well into diabetes, like there are some instances when people can still turn it around at that point in time. But like he said, you're already so far down the line and you've already caused a lot of damage to get there. 
So for me, I love catching people right at the point where they've had the diagnosis because it's like, oh, something is wrong. And then there's also some motivation there to make the change because for me, I don't want to be on medicine unless I need to be. Now, if there's a good reason for me to be on medicine, absolutely, I will take that medicine. But like if there's an instance when I have the ability to change that trajectory, like you do with prediabetes, I always want to empower people to be able to do that. That makes a lot of sense. It kind of makes me think, uh, I was a college swimmer uh, and also high school as well. And there was, uh, with with any competitive people out there, like competitive athletes, like really a large part is that there's seasons to to your sport. And so you have your preseason, your off season, but then it was the off season where it was important for you to stay active because the reality is getting into shape is way harder and way more painful than just staying in shape to begin with. So pretty much when you're at di- the diabetic level, the, the, you are so da- far down this rabbit hole that you have to do a lot more extra work to be in a much better position as compared to addressing this a little bit more preemptively, say in the, this pre-diabetic stage. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, you can kind of move it into another way into an orthopedic concept. If you have an ankle that you've sprained repeatedly, it's never going to be as good as an ankle that was never sprained in the first place. And diabetes causes damage to the system. So like if you are reversing significant damage to your body system, it's always going to operate better than something that's been broken and then has or sprained and have to be like rehealed. It's just not the same thing. Yeah. The complexity increases over time. I have, um, I've worked on the health and fitness coaching level with diabetic clients. And to be honest, I can't comment on what they're doing with their nutrition and a lot of their care outside of the training we're doing because it's beyond the scope of what I'm able to help them with. And some of the ways that the nutrition can affect their diabetes, I can't comment on because it's too complicated. So when it's still pre-diabetic, we can make some changes before medicine gets involved because that just complicates everything. And then fortunately, my wife is a part of this business, but you need a provider who can help you as it goes down the road further because it becomes too complicated otherwise. Yeah, that makes a, a, total, a, a ton of sense. And so I appreciate you being able to recognize that. I think one of the challenges is that people have a tendency, um, us as uh, providers, whether it be in the healthcare uh, side or even the wellness side, we're, we're in the business of helping others. And I think it, it can be so, it can be a little tough because we are so invested in helping other people that we can be put in a position where we might have to, we might step over uh, outside the scope of our practice. And it's important that you are working with people who are very aware of their scope. So then that way, if they're ever presented with an issue that is outside of their knowledge of what they can do for you, that they refer you out to the right people. Um, And it's great, you know, with Zen Strength Condition to have Sarah being a nurse practitioner. I mean, that she, this is, this is what she sees um, on a daily basis outside of uh, the wellness company. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a, there's this question that's really been kind of bugging my head because when I go get my physical I don't really think that they tell me about my A1C and it's probably because uh, it's, it's like within the normal range, but like how, how is the A1C actually evaluated? Is, um, I think you said it's like something blood related. So um, yeah. why, why would someone get this test if they aren't showing symptoms? They're so far away from being that diabetic state. 
Well, it's kind of there's, there's several risk factors. So it, it's basically your your provider should be looking at you and then making a decision based on like who you are as a person, whether they end up doing it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so being overweight is a risk factor. Being over 45 is a trigger for them to do an A1C just to get the initial reading if you haven't had one before. Um, if you have any immediate family members that have diabetes. And so when I say immediate, I mean mom, dad, brother, sister, blood relatives. If any of those people have diabetes, that should be a trigger for you to get an A1C. And you should be getting it pretty early, honestly. We're talking like, we're even testing as young as like preteens at this point in time, because we're seeing, now we're seeing type two diabetes developing in children, which used to be unheard of 25 years ago. So it's, there's some real significant shift in how we're evaluating and testing. Um, the other thing is whether someone is physically active. If you're completely inactive or you're, you're only you know doing something twice a week, that's another trigger to wanting to do a you know, A1C because your, your activity level is significant and you know affecting your metabolism. Um, and having gestational diabetes. So if you've been diet, you know, pregnant and had uh, diabetes while you were pregnant, that's another reason. Uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is another indication. Usually you see that with someone who's overweight. So that's an unsurprising in the, in the face of someone who is overweight as well. And then honestly, there's all these different populations that have a higher incidence of diabetes. Uh, Latino, specifically Puerto Rican, mm. which is one of the reasons I was very much on him because he is half Puerto Rican. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different like ethnicities, the Pacific Islanders, uh, a lot of the African-American population but this is also one of those confounding factors for me where that may be a trigger for testing, but then we can go into a whole conversation about access to good foods. And like in these populations, frequently they are underserved in many ways. So I don't know if that's necessarily the most uh, appropriate <laughs> trigger, but I think that we should be looking at really, you know, if they had any kind of first, like uh, in a, in a me- an immediate family member that has diabetes, we definitely are testing early. Yeah. Okay. And again, one in three. Uh, have it uh, undiagnosed or diagnosed in the United States. So it's a good test to do. I don't even remember what the impetus was at the time for me to get it done. But it, mean. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was part of my physical checkup because I hadn't gotten one in however many eight plus years. Yeah. And so she was like, make sure you get your A1C done. And I was like, okay, whatever, what's that? One thing leads to another. Now this And you is can always ask for it too. And yeah. so and that's the other thing is I want people to know that like, if you want this done, if you have any concerns at all, like it is an easy test to get done. Insurance will cover it in a preventative care medicines uh, forum, as long as you're not testing too frequently. So if this is the first time you're getting the test, they'll cover it. Um, so I think it's a really good thing for you as, as for people as a consumer to be like, I want to know what this is. So I can kind of know where I land in space as I'm, you know, living my life. Yeah. So kind of the TLDR is get regular checkups. Don't put in your head in the sand, ask for an A1C uh, at least every once in a while to make sure you're on top of this very common problem. And I'd say if it's if it's fine, you don't need to recheck for three, five years. Um, mm-hmm. But like having that initial baseline is really good to have. Okay. So there you have it, guys. And it's it's like why, like why, like how can you get something like this? Why would it be important for you to check your A1C is having these risk factors that both Sarah and Marisa were talking about. Um and if you're listening, you probably are like, okay, yeah, I do have pre-diabetes or it's like, oh, ultimately this is the, the sciatica pain podcast. And so how, let's talk about how actually um, the, the pre-diabetes, um, the, the free floating glucose and how that actually affects 
um, nerve, nerve function. Uh, ultimately, guys, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, but what makes nerves more sensitive is obviously causing irritation. And one major irritation that can be quote unquote invisible is inflammation. And could you guys tell us a little bit more about like, yeah, was like the role of glucose uh, or sugars, like from glucose in the body and, and its role in inflammation? So I think the most important thing to kind of start out with this is that, again, what we referring back to what we started out with, someone who is walking around with prediabetes or diabetes mm-hmm. has a blood sugar at baseline. So not you haven't eaten anything maybe or whatever. Like when you are just walking around, your blood sugar level is higher than someone who doesn't have prediabetes or diabetes. And so that you have, you know, 10 glucose molecules instead of someone having five. So that, that increase of the glucose molecules in your blood at baseline causes inflammation, which then can lead to pain. So in generalized inflammation, it's, it's amazing how much an elevated glucose can influence so many organ systems and so many different parts of your body. Um, you can have the, the high blood glucose can cause issues with like nerve repair. It can actually cause nerve damage. Um, you can actually have uh, issues with, it creates a vasoconstriction, which is basically where they makes the blood vessels smaller to all the like little vessels in your fingers and your feet, like your toes and your eyes, which can cause death to the cells in those areas. That's how you have diabetic neuropathy. That's how you have, uh, uh, ischemia in the eye itself, um, which is basically lack of blood flow to an area. And so when you have lack of blood flow to an area, then you get pain, but you also get dying of the tissue that is there. Hmm. So there's this, it's not just one way that the blood glucose influences the like pain with nerves. It's, it's multifactorial. And so it's, it's kind of incredible how many different ways this elevated glucose can cause pain specifically around the nerves. Yeah, that's really interesting, Sarah. Thanks for sharing with that. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And um, if you look at it again, prediabetes is usually diagnosed with this A1C and A1C is reflective of long-term changes or like behaviors or whatnot. So it's it's a three-month picture. Three-month picture, it's a three-month picture. So it's not like, okay, you decide to go keto for one day and then this is all fixed, but it's an accumulation of things. And so I think uh, you, you two would agree. So like if someone was starting to experience like some really big overall inflammation, they start to experience more of those symptoms of diabetes that they've been encountering this, this challenge is elevated or like, you know, these, these risk factors and these things that are affecting their body for a much longer period of time. It's not like someone gets diabetes overnight. It's like an accumulation over time. And if we look on the importance of why, why these two and their, their company exist, and, uh, and even the, the diagnosis of prediabetes is being able to address this condition or your health before you get too sick. So let, let's talk. Okay. So we, we had the opportunity to educate uh, the listeners on like what prediabetes is, why it's so important. Um, we also touched on how, uh, Let's let's talk, talk a little bit more about the the nerve aspect. Yeah, if you're with with inflammation, uh, elevated levels of glucose, uh, you're having less tissue healing. And what's interesting 
is that our cells are constantly replicated because, um, and we'll take, for example, our skin is it's, it's going to be, you're going to be shedding skin pretty frequently. Um, and if you're having decreased healing, you're going to have these tissues, specifically nerves or muscles or whatnot that need to replenish those cells. And if you have decreased healing, you're going to have ear areas where they're going to be more susceptible to injury, more susceptible to irritation. And so it is important for us to be able to address that. Um, and then if you guys are experiencing sciatica, yes, there's an orthopedic standpoint where you can move, but then it's the invisible stuff that we can't see that can actually, in fact, uh, affect our sciatic nerves and just the nerves in general. So we showed the picture to these listeners. Some of them are like, okay, yeah, I get it, Sarah and Mauricio. Okay, I have prediabetes. I'm, I'm listening to help to, to figure out what I can do to, to make some changes. So for the listeners out there, what, what, how, what, the, what actions can they do once they're, they're, they're told by their doc, yeah, I got prediabetes, but I don't want to get diabetes. What are some things that they can do? Yeah, so this is a great question because for someone like me, I was inclined to DIY it at the start. It's just a part of who I am. I like to just take action myself doing my own research, so to speak. But to be honest, I spent the better part of three years attempting to do this and not able to move the needle in the right direction on the A1C. And with that retrospective, and obviously with what we've learned about coaching people with these, these category of symptoms, is getting connected with experts on the subject matter who have experience helping people with prediabetes and related things. and getting connected with a community of other people that are having success dealing with it themselves, having been diagnosed with it. Those are the two most important things to get started. And then who that care team can be comprised of uh, would be the next step. And not everybody's the same. And I think that's the, like, we like to have like one solution fixes all things kind of ideas about a lot of things. But the reality is that for some people, it's it's not going to be that they're, you know, overweight, or it's not going to be that they eat too many carbs. Um, it's going to be that their stress levels at work are inappropriate, and they're not sleeping well. And, and so having someone that can really look at you and say, okay, you know, I see that you have all this going on, and you have these boxes ticked, like you're taking care of this part with your food and with your diet, you know, your exercise, but we really need to work on your sleep, because you're sleeping four hours a night, you're stressed out at this job. And like, you're not taking these like basically a mental, emotional, like recovery steps to help your body recover from what you're doing. And that can also lead to like, you know, issues with chronic, you know, elevated glucose in your sugar I and mean, blood glucose and like other issues down the line. So having someone that's a, a practitioner that really understands the big picture and isn't just handing, because I mean, a lot of times you were, you were talking about, you know, we don't have very much time at our visits. This is part of the reason I like working with Zen Strength and Conditioning is because I can set the amount of time I have for my patient. <laughs> like I really, like I was so like pressured to take 10 to 15 minutes with someone with a new diagnosis. And what you can do is basically be like, here's a pamphlet on lose weight, bye, okay. You know, and, and that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. So like having the time to like figure out what's going on in their life and then actually have the time to tell them, like give them some advice on what to do is a real, real commodity these days. Yeah. The, uh, the tendency to oversimplify will be there. And so often people will gravitate towards keto 
just doing the one thing that seems to be the main thing, but it may not be that nutrition is the thing you need the most help with to make an impact. And a skilled provider and care team will be able to evaluate what it is that's actually going to make a difference towards addressing this condition. So I, in my eyes, it seems like people who get diagnosed with pre-diabetes, like they're kind of lucky because they, they, they get to this point where there's like, there's something invisible that they can't see or feel. And there's this literal test that says, okay, if you don't make changes now, this is what could happen, which yeah. you don't really get too many of those types of tests, maybe like high blood pressure for sure. But like, they, I, I wish there was a, a, well, they have like a couple different screens out there to be like, okay, these are the things that are going to put you at risk of injuring yourself. But really the pre-diabetes is truly invisible. So for you to be able to, if, if you get this test and you're diagnosed with pre-diabetes, it's like, okay, you got to do something about it. And then you're like, and you, and you let's come off of this podcast and you're saying, oh my gosh, there's so many things that I need to look at. Um, it's It seems like if I were to kind of TLDR and, and Mauricio's words, it's like, one, you just got to ask for help. You got you to gotta search for that person who can look at the entire spectrum. But then also there's kind of like this wellness inventory type of situation that, that, that people need to look into. And I know that you uh, briefly talked about it, but could you go over again, just quickly, some of the things that, that, that should be looked at that when, they, when a person, a listener goes to a provider professional, that they should be hoping that they get asked these questions. So then that way they know that they're with the right person who can help them. Because you obviously can't answer all those questions in a 15 minute conversation. For sure. So we imagine wellness as the central piece to which other components feed into and integrate and intersect with. And so you could imagine exercise being an important subcomponent that will be looked at. You can of course imagine nutrition will be a big component that will be looked at. Maybe less obvious, as she already talked about, your sleep and your stress are really the big elephants in the room and the ones that tend to be harder, not even harder to change, but harder for people to imagine changing. And then your support network. Who else are you getting help from? And your peer group, your tribe of people that you're spending time with that can make it easier or harder for you to live the healthy lifestyle that's going to get you out of diabetes and being well. I love that. So we have this checklist to make sure that we're covering all the bases. I know for me, uh, I love exercising. I love eating good food, good quality food. We're lucky living in California slash the Bay Area to have access to beautiful vegetables. Um, so lucky. <laughs> farmer's market on every Sunday. And it's literally my best place, my favorite place on earth. I didn't sleep. I'll tell you, um, since I moved out here, uh, and as I've gotten older, I realize that sleep is really important because I cannot function when I have no sleep at all. It's uh, I could, I used to do it when I was like 18, but in my in, as I've gotten older, I need more sleep. And then stress stress is a, a very huge factor. And then support. I mean, I wish everyone can. If I wish everybody could do it on their own, but us as human beings, we're social creatures, right? We need to be able to have another person knowing that they care about us. Then also too, we, it is important for us to see the successes of other people. So having this one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five step checklist um, is really, really great for, for the listeners. And so then that way they know 
how to find the right person and, and right wellness person for them, which then leads me to my next question is, here we have Maria, Sue, and Sarah, coaches, healthcare, amazing experiences of, like, I mean, not having, like, not having prediabetes or having prediabetes, I wouldn't, you know, you're probably like, you know, I want to fix that. But you have these two people, these two experts in the field, and they're here to help you. And for you listeners out there who have been diagnosed with prediabetes or realize, oh, maybe I should go get my A1C checked. And you find out that there is prediabetes like running in your family or you're running at risk and you need help. Uh, Marissa and Sarah, tell us a little bit more about how people can get in touch with you because I'm sure that they're going to have more questions once they finish this episode. Yes, of course. Uh, we're on all the things. We come from the same like business system, social media. You can direct message us, links to all of our contacts, email, phone number is all there. ZenSNC.com is our site that has all of our information as well. And there's a standard way to book an intro with us or just inquire. We work with a very limited number of people. So we're able to respond to individual inquiries pretty quickly. Great. I'm going to keep all of their contact information folks in the details of today's episode. So if you didn't get a chance to write it down, zensnc.com. And then you can also click on the link in, uh, in the details of today's episode. Uh, Maria, Sue, and Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise. It was also very eye-opening for me because I know that the pre-diabetes and its effect on, on pain, but then there's so many other components that need to be addressed, which I know that I'm not an expert in. So to know that you two are experts in that, I'm so happy for you to share. Uh, before we go, um, is there anything else that you would like to tell the audience about you guys or what you guys can do before, before we call it a day? Honestly, we, we love what we do and uh, we're living our best lives doing it. Having some uh, personal experience myself with this, I do have like an enthusiasm for helping those who are countering this issue. And yeah, we love to share and, and share our life experience with you in a way that's going to help you uh, accomplish your health goals. All right. And oh, go ahead. Sorry. I did not mean just to touch back on what we were talking about a little earlier. I know when you're hurting, you're like, man, I just want to have that drink or that cookie, but try to avoid it. Because honestly, that elevating your blood glucose does make things worse. So as much as you can, try to like stick to the exercises, get moving, and things will be better. Yeah, we're here to help. All right, there you have it. Pre-diabetes, what you can do, and the two folks that help you, or that can help you, be successful in that. Thank you so much, you two. Um, and I'm so glad you guys were able to be the first episode of the year. What a great way to kick off 2022. And for you yeah. listeners out there, I have an amazing gift for you. Uh, over the past couple of months, I've developed an amazing artificial intelligence program that actually helps you overcome your sciatica pain. It is now free on our website, which is going to be ifixyoursciatica.com slash the underscore sciatica underscore protocol. All you need to do is take our nine question quiz. And once you're approved, get ready for pain relief. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks so much for having us. Have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day.
No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.